0: Good evening and welcome to Transforming Lives, the radio ministry of the Biblical Counseling Institute of Garrettsville, Ohio. I invite you to stay tuned for the next hour for a live discussion providing biblical answers to life's questions. Here now is your host for tonight's edition of Transforming Lives.
1: Welcome to Transforming Lives. This is your host, Joe Propriet. I'm the director of the Biblical Counseling Institute, which sponsors this program, Transforming Lives, and we're excited to be with you this evening, and we are live here at 1220 AM WHKW. I'm joined by my guests, Pastor Gus Supan and Pastor Glenn Dunn, who are part of our regular panel. We're looking forward tonight uh, in a very special way because we're going to interview uh, my mentor, Dr. J.E. Adams, and um we have had Jay on the program uh, previously, and we're going to be talking to him in just a few moments. Uh, but before we do, let me let you know that we are on live, and we you are invited to talk to Dr. Adams yourself by calling us at 888-677-9673. We'll be repeating that m- number throughout the program. <clears throat> and uh, you can also go to the website uh, www.bci-ohio.com, where we are podcasting the program. And you can also uh, download MP3 files of previous programs since our program started back in September of last year. <clears throat> well, as I said, we're here to talk with Dr. Adams today and discuss uh, his life, his career, his writings, and um, ask any questions that we might want to and, and just enjoy fellowshipping with our dear brother. Jay, are you there?
2: Hi. Good How are you doing?
1: We're doing great.
2: You sound like you're live tonight. <laughs> well, I...
1: For a change. <laughs> as opposed to what? <laughs>
2: well, I don't know. I mean, uh, does not have to be opposed to?
3: For one thing, he's not dead in Christ.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> not alive in Christ. Jay, I thought we'd start our program tonight with something of a little personal testimony that I want you to jump onto. Uh, it was back in the 70s, uh, early 70s, I became converted to Christ. And uh, after being an atheist, and that was after having studied the world religions and rejecting my Christian upbringing, which was primarily the Roman Catholic variety, and I had, uh, upon my conversion, been convinced that Christianity, and the Bible in particular, was really the source of all truth, and that's because I had tried to find truth everywhere else. Now as a Christian I was beginning to devour the scriptures from day 1 and uh soon began to c- talk to a lot of people in the church I went to and other people about Jesus and people began to share their problems uh with me and I started to try to think of bible passages that might be applicable to their situation and when I did remember some and share them with people, they were amazed that they weren't aware of them. And then when they actually applied them, they came back to me a week or two later and would say things like, that really worked. And before you know it, I had a number of people seeking my counsel, and I really didn't know much uh, at that time, but yet I knew the answers were in the Bible. So what I began to do is uh, try to find answers. I went to the Christian bookstore locally and pulled three or four volumes off the shelf and I won't need to mention the names back in the late uh, 60s, early 70s. of the Why not? You want me to? Oh, sure. <laughs> well, I, I read Wayne Oates. And, uh,
2: well, Wayne and, Oates wasn't even a believer.
1: I, well, I didn't know that from reading the book. I just know he didn't follow the Bible.
2: He was a liberal who uh, believed that uh, the Bible was a Rorschach, a Rorschach test. mm <laughs> he, he wrote once uh, using those words, he says, "You read into the Bible what you want to find and then you take it out of it." Mm. Uh-huh. That was his view of the scriptures.
1: and uh, si- since we're doing a quick critique, I read uh, the Rosemead theology uh, uh, of mine um, my, my name the name's slipping me right now. I'm thinking uh, out in Rosemead College. yeah, yeah who, who was that guy?
2: A Naramore. Naramore, yeah. yeah. Clyde, Clyde, Clyde Naramore. Those, guys, those Clyde guys are Christians. Right. Yeah. I read I read they're, Clyde. They're,
1: they're
2: confused Christians. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And there was a number. Gary Collins was just coming out shortly after that, and there were some other things. I can't remember all the names, but I probably went through uh, eight to ten pastoral counseling books at least, and then one of the times I went to the bookstore to try to find something that could help me. I was very disappointed in what I was reading as a relatively new Christian. I was about two- or three-year-old Christian, I had enough scripture in me to be able to discern that something was wrong with those books. And then I pulled a book called Competent to Counsel. Mm. And from the first page of your book, Jay, I, my heart began to pound. I said... This guy agrees with me that the Bible is all you really need. I devoured that book, and of course, your your first book had little footnotes that said, "See also my book. See also my book." And I ended up purchasing all these books and finding out uh, more about. Uh, how you were helping people trust the scriptures and use the scriptures and of course later on eventually met you and uh, and we've enjoyed i believe i've enjoyed a relationship
2: that the beginning of the end right there that's right it?
1: but jay here's my question when I, be-
2: I was wondering if you had any. i did you
1: i did forgot I did. no i i haven't i haven't forgotten uh, but i be i was so excited that i began to share what i was learning and experiencing in ministry as a lay person, uh, from your helpful books and eventually re- meeting Wayne Mack and things like that, and I was stunned because there were other pastors and people that had heard of you.
4: Mm.
1: Not everybody did, but most of them had. And I got facial expressions that disturbed me. And most people had this negative opinion of you and your work, and um, and I I was astonished at that. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond because I'm positive there's still some of that attitude about prophetic sure counseling sure around in our current uh, time frame and our current area uh, in northeast Ohio. There are still people that have strange Caricatures and other sorts of things about neuthetic counseling and things that you've written. I don't, I don't think anybody has anything personally against you, but things that you've written. <clears throat> and I want to ask you really, really two questions. What is your typical response to that? And second, the second question is in the in the original writings of your book. Uh, Uh, those early books especially, is there anything you would do differently if you were starting out again, knowing what you know now, based upon some of the critiques that you've heard? Uh, So those are two questions. Go for it. Well, uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) number one, um, you don't attack someone's entire uh, purpose in life without him being a bit upset. I mean, I was attacking psychiatry in the church. And mm-hmm. we have the church, that's what we had, a church full of people who had gone to the pagans, learned mm-hmm. psychiatry, and brought it into the church unbaptized.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, that's what I was attacking, and people were upset about that, of course.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I mean, that's that's understandable. I don't think we think there's any, any difficulty in, in realizing what the problem was. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so people began to uh, debate, and they took sides. And uh, some people uh, were on my side of this issue, and other people were not. And some of them said, no, the Bible alone is not adequate, that we must add this, that, and the other kind of psychological insights. And so uh, there began to be certain divisions in this this whole thing. And it was a good thing. You know, the Bible says that uh, there, there must be divisions. Jesus said that in order that we could learn the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there there really began to be people who were attacking what I was saying. But the interesting thing was that I've lived long enough, 78 now, that uh, I've watched over the years to see what's happened. When I first held meetings, Compton Council came out in 70, when I first held meetings and used to have Q&A periods at the end, which I always did with pastors particularly, Uh, I had a lot of people saying, oh, come on, you can't believe that. They they had all been brainwashed by the psychiatrist and by others saying, you know, the the Bible didn't have all that was necessary. So I got those kinds of questions and had to answer them constantly. But things have changed. Things have changed. There's a whole new attitude out there. Um, I find that I don't get those kinds of questions very often anymore. Mm -hmm. You may be getting them, but uh, I don't get them anymore when I have Q&A periods uh, for the most part. What I get now are questions like, uh, well, now, when I try to help somebody this way and that way, the other way, what do I do and say and so on? They want more help. Mm -hmm. That's what they're asking about now. Mm -hmm. So there's been a real change over the years in the attitude toward biblical counseling. I think there are some reasons for that. Number one, uh, I think that uh, the great, the grandiose claims that were made for psychiatry have not uh, been able to be fulfilled at all. Uh, people have seen that it's fallen apart. It hasn't had the answers. Different view after different view has come on the scene. And uh, instead of one consistent view, which is true, we have uh, constant retooling where you have to believe one thing today, something else tomorrow. I mean, way back when. There were things like, I'm okay, you're okay, and, of course, that's no longer okay. Nobody believes in that anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, Freudianism went its way pretty much and so on down, down the years. And uh, while we stood steady and fast on the scriptures, mm. all these different views are coming along and each one being challenged by other people and so on. And I think people got tired of retooling, an awful lot of them who were involved in all this, mm-hmm. saying, you know, every time I go to the psychiatric grocery store, there's a new box of cereal there and uh, they just got tired of that, and they, they began to realize uh, there might have been something else, and so they began to investigate. And I, there's also a whole new generation that's come along now, and these people seem to be a lot more open to what the Scriptures have to say. Occasionally I do get, of course, uh, the questions you're asking about now, about uh, changes. No, basically no changes.
4: Mm. Uh,
2: you know, uh, more insight, more uh, refinement, uh, of what I had to say, uh, that kind of thing, more more areas into which we've uh, delved and and uh, brought the biblical counseling and all those things, but no no basic changes. You say, well, why not? Are you just stubborn? Well, you see, I had all my theology down before I started counseling, mm-hmm. and what I'm doing is uh, exegesis and theology. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to retool my theology to, to bring it into line with what the Bible has to say. I was already pretty much there. And so having theology in place made a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had to change my theology, basically. I could deepen it, of course, but uh, I was already committed pretty much to that. And I knew how to exegete, because I've been to seminary and spent a lot of time working on how to exegete scriptures. And uh, so it's just a matter of deepening and understanding more and more about what we, we have in the scriptures, not a matter of rejecting the scriptures for something else or uh, uh, changing... Uh, what we believe, because uh, the scriptures will stand forever.
5: You know, uh, Doctor Adams. This is yep. this is Glenn Den. Uh, Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. We really appreciate you uh, joining us on the broadcast second time. Mm-hmm. And um, based upon the premise that the scriptures tell us, uh, it's right to give honor to whom honor is due. Um, spe- I speak as a beneficiary of uh, that fight that you began to uh, to level.
2: Well, I'm just uh, glad if it's been helpful.
5: Well, yeah. long ago.
2: That's all counts. I mean, you know, let's let's talk about the principles, in the yeah. they talk
5: about yeah, and it well, not about you, but about what you stood for, and right. it's and it's one of the solas of the Reformation, isn't it? And sure it's is. and yeah. it's it's the sola of sola scriptura, sure. 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 and that is right. that is the Bible alone, right? And, and how thankful we are for voices that have promoted the Bible alone, and you know this. Uh, I guess through the centuries there always will be, as long as as the Lord uh, tarries, there always will be this fight uh, for the Word of God. There has been since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, hasn't there?
2: You've got a a very important insight there, because uh, where the devil attacks, always the Word of God. Yeah, always. Because it's His Word that unites us to God Himself. Yeah. And if he can break that relationship, then he's got somebody. And so from the very beginning, it's been the attack on the Word of God. God said, and he said, well, has God really said?" Mm. questioning to begin with? Mm. And then eventually when he began to uh, be sucked into this kind of thinking, he said, oh, it won't happen to you. He denied it. He, He first created doubt, then he... Brought denial into the picture, right. and that's always the process that you run into wherever right. you turn.
5: When I when I first was coming in contact with biblical counseling, some of it was in seminary. Mm-hmm. It was presented to me sort of here are two counseling paradigms, pick one. That's and nice. and um, so in in God's uh, grace, I landed on the right one, which is uh, biblical counseling. But uh, in my experience, in, in trying to bring. Uh, this idea of the sufficiency and the supremacy of the Scriptures into a church in which I was ministering, I had someone say to me, um, you know, sort of fussing with me about it, and I I said to the person, I never in my mind imagined that bringing more of the Bible into a Bible-believing church would ever be an issue. And the person literally said to me, well, that was certainly naive on your part.
2: (laughs) I think it was, perhaps.
5: <laughs> and I guess there's a certain naivete, and I don't know that, that people really appreciate the the um, mm. the force by which the Lord has used uh, the importance of this message to say to the church, you know what, God has given to us all that we need for life and godliness.
2: Hey, look, if I didn't have the Bible to turn to, I wouldn't know what to do.
1: Right. Just exactly like right. all the
2: rest of these people who are... Uh, week after week and year after year trying to learn something new and then having it dumped about five or ten years down the pike and trying to learn something new and then having it dumped and retooling constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way it is with the world out there because the world doesn't have truth. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you don't have truth, it's not going to stay, it's not going to remain, it's going to keep changing whatever it is that you have. You know,
5: one of the verses that we like, is uh, Colossians chapter 2 8. I love that verse. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ.
2: Yeah, those stoichia, those basic principles, the Greek word is stoichia, mm-hmm. were a kind of a, a Greek philosophy of life, of earth, air, fire, and water. Were supposed to be that which everything else grew out of. That's what the Greek philosophers taught. Mm. And so uh, Paul's trying to say, look, uh, these guys are dead wrong. This, this, the world is not a matter of earth, air, fire, and words. It's a matter of what God created. And mm. uh, you don't want to be following the, these fellows who uh, will lead you astray from the true God.
1: Mm. Amen. Well, Jay, we're going to come right back to you in a break. And I want our listeners to know we're talking to Dr. Jay Adams uh, well-known as uh, the father of bringing the Bible back into the counseling realm.
0: Grandfather by uh, grandfather, grandfather now <laughs> at
1: 78. And uh, he's here he's here by phone live with uh, with all of us. And we encourage you to call and talk with Jay. Ask questions if you'd like. Uh, thank him for his work. The number toll-free is 888-677-9673. We'll be right back.
4: I was having my coffee the other day and I wondered, what's so special about Cornerstone Bible Fellowship? Is it the family like environment, the Christian development classes geared for all ages, or the fact that Cornerstone Bible Fellowship believes both in the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Bible? Cornerstone Bible Fellowship is committed to preaching, teaching, and counseling from God's Word. I've heard testimonies of how the biblical counseling ministry of our church helped my friend with her panic attacks, helped one believer with his anger, and another who struggled with worry. All by giving them solid biblical principles to help them defeat these sins in their lives. It's amazing. At Cornerstone Bible Fellowship, I'm learning that I have everything I need to live a life of victory and godliness. It's my prayer that we will reach even more people with the good news that the Bible is sufficient to meet our greatest needs.
0: Cornerstone Bible Fellowship is currently meeting at Remington College at Great Northern. For more information, call 440-617-0002 or visit us on the web at cbfministry.org.
1: Back here at Transforming Lives, I'm Joe Propri, Director of Biblical Counseling Institute. I'm joined by Gus Supan and Glenn Dunn, fellow pastors and uh, biblical counselors with me. And we're here tonight with Dr. Jay Adams. Uh, Jay, I wanted to piggyback on things that were just said in the area of truth. Uh, the world doesn 't have the truth, but one of the things that 's said frequently, even in the last few years, is this issue of which you 've addressed in your booklet uh, called is all truth god 's truth and let's let 's deal with that for a few moments when people say that, and that's one of the most common questions we get now is, okay, we believe the Bible is inerrant, but the sufficiency issue we're not quite sure of because God has indeed given truth in the world. There, there are people who've discovered things. They've discovered things scientifically, uh, biologically, mathematically, and why why can't we accept the fact that God has revealed things to people in the world who aren't Christians through and not using the Bible, but he's given them insights about people, their personality, their problems, their character, and um. I already know your answer, but some of the people listening have probably never really thought about that in great depth. So how would you address uh, for our audience that particular question in discerning this or responding to that argument? There's truth out there in the world, and we hard-headed, narrow-minded, new counselors won't acknowledge that. We won't adapt those things. We won't. What's wrong with us and what's wrong with this picture? How do you address that, Jay?
2: Well, you just did it. You said uh, that people say... God has revealed material through other people than the apostles and the prophets of the scriptures. And that's, of course, not true. There, Whenever God reveals anything, it's absolutely correct. It's Amen. true. It's perfect. It has no error whatsoever within it. And not a single person in science or anywhere else can claim to have perfection. In fact, one of the uh, basic tenets of science has always been that we're continually revising, revising, revising till we get closer and closer and closer. Now, what man has discovered uh, are many of the things that God has put in this world for us to use and to discover. But we never even do that well. There's always correction. There's always improvement. There's always uh, error, which is... Uh, uh, we have to we get started on one course we have to turn around and go back on an entirely different one and uh, uh, so while many things can be discovered, not a one of them can be claimed to be revelation from God mm. because God revelation is absolutely perfect whenever he re- reveals anything mm-hmm. So we certainly don't believe that God revealed truth through Freud or through Rogers or through Skinner or through any of these psychiatrists or psychologists who uh, some people are leaning upon as though they they have truth that's, if not equal to the Bible, at least is on the very next level. It's nowhere near the Bible. Mm. Amen.
3: Mm-hmm. Jay, this is uh, Gus Soup, and I have a question to follow up on uh, with, what Glenn was talking about. And, and I, I, I'm glad to see that you uh, you feel that the church has changed in the, the years that you've been ministering with uh, Biblical Counseling. Uh, and maybe this is a regional thing out here in northeast Ohio. Uh,
2: maybe it's because I, Joe's out there. I don't know. <laughs> Good, he's got a face for radio, though, Wilson. I have a face for
3: radio. <laughs> but what, what I experienced, a lot of uh, pastors and a lot of people, because I'm, I'm passionate about the Nathetic movement and trying to uh, uh, find Joe's teachings coming into as many churches as possible. And uh, I get the resistance of people saying, uh, well, um, we are doing biblical counseling. Uh, and when you what they say oh. and what they do are two different things. Yeah. They, they call it biblical counseling.
2: Well, there but, are a lot of things going under that name. And, uh, you know, the only way we can tell whether something's biblical or not is to look at the Bible and look what's being done. Hmm. And, you know, it's not what people say so much. They often say good things as though, you know, we're going to use the Bible and the yeah, Bible the yes. answer to our problems. So on. You look at their practice. Mm-hmm. You really want to know what somebody believes. Mm-hmm. Look at his practice. Read their books and see what they say to do. And that's where what they really believe, no matter what kind of theory they may spin at the beginning of their book. Uh, take, for example, uh, Larry Crabb. Good. Every one of Larry Crabb's books starts out... Very good in the first chapter. Absolutely.
3: So. Absolutely. But mm-hmm.
2: as soon as he gets into the methodology, you see that it, it doesn't square with what he says he's going to do at all.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
4: He
2: goes to Adler and he goes to Freud.
4: Yes. And
2: he's fundamentally an Adlerian. And so, you know, and so uh, he's not really going to the scriptures, though he says, I want to. He says he he's going to. Now, he may want to. I don't know. But uh, he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. not his system. So you've got to watch out for what a person does, not just what he says, if you really want to find out about a system. Mm-hmm.
5: There's a great quote in one of um, Wayne Mack's books, Life in the Father's House. I don't know if you guys have ever read that, if you pagans mm-hmm. have ever read that. But anyway, <laughs> um, he, 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 he speaks to that very issue, and he says, in many churches we profess to have the Bible to be our ultimate source, but in most churches the Bible is like the Queen of England, the titular head of England, but with no real governing authority when it comes down to the final issue, and I think we certainly see that in the, and, uh, in the
2: matters of time. And she didn't do counseling. very well with her family, either. No, that's right. <laughs> that's and right. Uh, that's what happens. That's her I mean, practice. If the Bible, if the Bible isn't <laughs> the real authority and, uh, and we're not living according to it, you get all kinds of uh, bad behavior.
4: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Jay, let's take a, a sample case just for our listeners' benefit. Let's say, um, how about if we take a person who is worried or anxious And maybe you could contrast uh, a couple different worldly approaches and how the biblical approach would be markedly different.
2: Well, you know, when people are are worried, uh, there are a lot of ways that people go after uh, solving that kind of a problem. They'll tell a person not to worry anymore, you know, or they'll say, uh, oh, well, that's the way life just is, and uh, you're going to have to learn to get over it. And so there are a lot of different approaches, but... Uh, I don't care about those so much. I really care about what the Bible has to say. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, and this is the place where you have to begin when you're talking about worry, that worry is sin.
3: Yes. That's
2: right. and the reason why we know it's sin is because in Philippians 4, 6, it says there's a command. Don't worry about anything, but instead in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. All right, so uh, we have two commands there. Don't worry, but pray about your problem in the way in which I'm going. He's going to describe here, and so um, if a person doesn't do what God tells him to do, he sinned. If he does what God tells him not to do, he sinned. And here we have a little bit of each. Uh, don't worry about anything. He says, "Don't do it," but people are going to go on worrying. In fact, it might even be called the uh, the the American sin of all sins. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people just constantly worry, and. Uh, but there, there's no reason for a believer to worry because God has control over everything, and He has promised in Romans eight twenty eight that all things for the believer work together for good. And because that's true, we have a real assurance. Now, that doesn't mean that problems aren't going to come our way through uh, uh, this world of sin in which we live, and uh, through God's providence in which He often brings good out of evil. But as far as this, this passage is concerned, the first thing it says is pray about it. And then it tells you how to pray uh, with thanksgiving. Ah, there's a real trick to it. Mm -hmm. If you thank God for the problem, uh, knowing that he is sending good your way, uh, that makes all the difference in the world, or if you just sit around complaining about it, on the other hand. So uh, that's the first thing, prayer. And I'm going to go in that in depth. But then it goes on to say, then God's peace, that goes beyond all understanding, like a sentinel, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Then he says, second thing, whatever's true, serious, just, pure, lovely, of good repute, think on these things. Focus your thinking on these things. And so that's the second thing when you're dealing with worry. You have to start putting the right kind of thoughts in your mind. Think about the things God wants you to think about this problem instead of the things that you have been thinking about this is wild, this is terrible I all that kind of stuff, like they murmured in the Old Testament and uh, God scattered their bodies uh, across the desert uh but instead of that, uh, we ought to begin to think now, I wonder what god's going to do in this thing this this is this is i'm i'm in partnership with him, this is kind of an interesting uh uh, venture, it's a joint venture between me and God, since we were in covenant relationship with one another, and I've trusted his son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior, and God must have something really interesting that he wants to come out of this thing. It's not very pleasant at the moment, but I'm, I'm looking forward beyond that, too. And so you begin to think about those things instead of the things you have been thinking about. And then finally, third thing about worry, he says... Whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, we start doing what the Bible says to do about the problem. Not just uh, uh, pray about it. Prayer is good, but prayer alone is not adequate. And not just change your thinking. That's good, but that's not adequate. Then go do whatever God says to do about the problem. Uh, You know, uh, when it says uh, in the Lord's Prayer, to pray for your daily bread, that's fine. But, uh, Uh, You don't just sit down and wait for the bread to come flying out of the sky somehow, uh, out of a plane or in a parachute dropping down into your lap. Uh, The Bible says in Thessalonians that uh, whoever won't work shouldn't eat. So it's not inconsistent to work for what you are praying for. In fact, those two things go together. For instance, if you're praying uh, uh, that you want your daily bread... Uh, or whatever it may be, then what you're really praying is, Lord, give me the opportunity, the strength, the wisdom, uh, whatever it takes to earn that bread. Now, extraordinary cases, of course, do occur where uh, people aren't able to work, and uh, God can provide other ways and means through his church and through his people of meeting those needs. But anybody who's capable of working uh, can work. And I've often had people in counseling who say, Oh, I can't find a job. I don't know what that is and what they're doing. Uh, I say, you know, you really do have a job. They say, what? No, I don't it's have a job. God. I say, all you do, you've got to work seven to six days a week looking for a job, eight hours a day, and if you do that for a couple of weeks, you'll find a job.
1: Mm-hmm. If you're willing to take the job God puts in your lap, I've had sure. you know I've had people Jay say to me, "Well, I could get some job, but there's no way I'm going to work for a measly eight bucks an hour."
2: Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So they sit around do nothing and and they get a zero an hour. Yeah,
3: Jay, I want to tie in the the, the counsel you gave on this example that Joe just gave, a, along with your earlier comments and in, in, in assessing uh, biblical uh, mm-hmm. biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you uh, started off and and I would play I, I would. Not want to play the devil, devil's advocate because I'm not the devil's advocate, uh, but I would I would want to. Sit, 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 I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm a I'm a consolee, and I'm uh, uh, I, I think I'm a Christian. Uh, I, I think I've uh, learned it and said the right things. And right away, I'm being told worry is a sin. That's and right. earlier, uh, the, the assessment of one of those authors, I think, it was Oaks, that you're uh, not a believer. Um, so. I, I'm saying, well, this is this is a typical way these naive people talk. Everything is got a sin under it. Yeah, but a, see,
2: you see two things here. Uh, number one, uh, when you say, you see, I said I would, I couldn't work it out in depth. But if I told somebody that uh, worry is sin, and that that's where his hope lies, I would have to explain that, and I do. Mm-hmm. I explain that that there's no hope if. Uh, uh somebody else is going to change his behavior there's no hope that, that that's going to happen we can't expect another person who's doing us in to, to uh, change his behavior but if we are sinning that's one thing that can change because Jesus Christ came to deal with sin mm-hmm. he didn't come to deal with every other problem in the world that's going to come our way
5: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but he came to deal with sin and so there's hope in saying that something's sin
5: it's amen Amen. Uh, and that
2: that's goes true uh, when people say, oh, he's just sick, you know, or he's, that's, that's genetics, that's his uh, uh, the way he was born, or something of that sort, that's his genes. Right. Uh, no, Jesus didn't come to change our genes, not even our t-shirts, for that matter. That's right. But uh, <laughs> what he did come to do is to deal with sin and change our lives, basically. And so when you call something sin that really is sin then, you know, it gives hope because Christ deals with sin. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another angle to this. People have said, all we do is deal with sin. And the answer is yes and no. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, all problems in this world go back to Adam's sin.
4: Mm -hmm, There wouldn't
2: be any problems if that weren't true. However, in John 9 and uh, in Job's case, for example, the man born blind and Job, uh, here were people who were in trouble, but neither one brought that problem upon himself by his own sin. Mm. And uh, when people say this about us, they are really slandering us, because from the first book on, I made those two verses, those two things very clear from both those passages, uh, that uh, it's not personal sin, necessarily, that Mm -hmm. brings the problem upon us. Though it may, Mm
4: -hmm. but it's
2: not necessarily so. But all all matters go back to Adam's sin, Mm -hmm. and we have to deal with the problem. And so there's a A climate of opinion, or gossip, or whatever you want to talk about, uh, out there that says these guys—all these guys ever do is they talk about sin and they want to hit you over your head with the Bible and that kind of stuff. But that's really just not true. None of those things, and it's really slanderous rather than truthful.
1: Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thanks, thanks for the response. We're having a good time talking to Dr. Jay Adams. And when we come back from our next break, we're going to continue this discussion. We want to encourage you to call now, 888-677-9673. And we'll be glad to hear from you. And and, uh, so stay tuned. Listen to these resources that are available to help you in your growth as a Christian.
0: biblical counseling institute offers training in the use of god's word to help people solve the common problems of life in a fallen world whether personal problems or relational problems the scriptures give competent counsel for all non-organically caused problems bci exists to equip christians to handle the bible practically for themselves and others gently and compassionately towards solutions that transform lives and glorify god Various types of training are available. You can come to us in Garrettsville. We can bring classes to your church, or you can take classes in your own home by correspondence. For more information, call BCI at 330-527-4205 or email us at info at bci-ohio.com. That's 330-527-4205 or info at bci-ohio.com. Do you desire to become more Christ-like? I want to make you aware of a unique resource every Christian should have who wants to grow in Christ-like character. Transformed into His Likeness by Armin Tiffey is a handbook for putting off sin and putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and will help you identify personal habits and tendencies that are hindering your walk with the Lord. This valuable biblical resource will not only help you identify where personal change is needed in your life, but will also explain how to put off old sinful habits and replace them with new godly behaviors. For more information about this wonderful resource source. Log on to transformedinduslikeness.com. That's transformedinduslikeness.com. If you'd like to order a copy, call 1-800-656-0231 or ask for it at your local bookstore. Transformed into his likeness by Armin Tiffey.
1: Welcome back to Transforming Lives. This is Joe Proprie, and I'm here with Gus Supan and Glenn Dunn. And we're talking to Dr. Jay Adams, and uh, Jay, you just talked something about the issue of uh, it's not in your jeans, it's not in your t-shirts, and whatever else it might be. Well, Glenn has an interesting uh, question related to that uh, in, uh, in some relationship to the focus of a recent program that we did. Glenn, go ahead.
5: Uh, Doc, about uh, two or three weeks ago, we did a two-part program on Hope for the homosexual. And um, you, you of course know that that's a real hot button issue, in both in the yeah in the culture and and certainly in the church and in our desire to be able to give hope to uh, people whom we would say are trapped in that homosexual lifestyle. But just recently, uh, I don't know if you're aware of a, an idol, a, an article entitled "Is Your Baby Gay? What If You Could Know? What If You Could Do Something About It?" And this is a a blog that um, I receive pretty much on a, a daily basis from Al Moller. And uh, he quotes scientists at the U.S. Sheep Experiment Station. <laughs> and he speaks uh, to this matter of um, of them working on this idea of a gay gene. And he makes a couple of points here, and just let me quickly share them. He says, right now, there is, of, as of now, no incontrovertible or widely accepted proof that any biological basis for sexual orientation exists. But a second point, nevertheless... The direction of the research points in this direction. Research into the sexual orientation of sheep and other animals as well as human studies points to some level of biological causation for sexual orientation, at least, he says, in some individuals. Now, he's certainly not, Mueller's certainly not uh, endorsing that. that, falling on that side. Right, but just, just this idea. And so he says here, given the consequences of the fall and the effects of human sin, we should not be surprised that such a causation or link is found after all the human genetic structure along with every other aspect of creation shows the pernicious effects of the fall and God's judgment, which I think is relating to something of, of what you were saying about the effects of Adam's sin. But I, I wondered what your uh, thoughts were on on this idea of um, the proclivity or born with a a predisposition towards... Uh, certain sexual orientations, yeah, certain sexual orientations, homosexuality, and so forth.
2: Predisposition is a very different thing from causation. That you said he was using that mm-hmm. word, I'm very disappointed to hear him use that word. Uh, well, because Moore cool. on the whole is a pretty good guy, mm-hmm. um, and I, I would be surprised that that uh, he would eventually come down with that kind of view. Uh, causation is nonsense because uh, uh, the Bible is very clear that what causes this is our own sin. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, we read, Don't you know that the unrighteous won't inherit God's kingdom? Don't be misled. Neither those who are sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy persons, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor robbers, nor uh, will inherit God's kingdom. These are what some of you were. were. Past tense. Here were people in the church of Corinth, which is a pretty wicked city. A thousand prostitutes uh, played their, their uh, uh, trade there at the temple of, uh, in which the temple prostitution was uh, part of the, the worship of pagan Greece in, in Corinth. And uh, So here were male prostitutes and female prostitutes and everything else involved. And he's saying that homosexuals uh, are not Stuck with some kind of a genetic problem because they can put it aside. It is a way of life. It is not a problem that we that we are inevitable inevitably will have.
1: Jay, one of the responses I usually give. Tell me what you think of it. Is that, is that usually when people think of genetics, uh, they're thinking of that determinative status, uh, blue eyes, st- uh, stock stature, and all that sort of thing. But there is a category of genetics called multifactorial which is that area where there's no determinative uh, causation going on and it's a multitude of various discrepancies or whatever in the code and they can't even make any predictions but they believe predispositions can come from that and so as you say uh, predisposition doesn't mean causation
2: and studies don't really tell us anything much um, you know there was a very interesting study that was made uh, by uh, a number of psychiatrists and psychologists in, in England that supposedly showed that uh, as a result of the activity of uh, homosexuality, changes took place in the brain. And so some people came along later on or earlier on before that study were saying, you know, the homosexuals have a different kind of brain than other people do. There are things going on in their brains that aren't like... Uh, what goes on in other people's brains? These guys showed that it was a result of the activity, not the cause.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: They showed anything. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't have I have doubts about all kinds of studies. Anyway, I
5: I just want to be fair to Moeller. I don't I don't want to speak for him. And and anybody could go to AlbertMoeller dot com to get uh, the the whole yeah. gist of the article. But he does say one of the points he does make, just just out of of fairness, is to say. We must stop confusing the issues of moral responsibility and moral choice. We are all responsible for our sexual orientation, but that does not mean that we freely and consciously choose that orientation. We, uh, sin, we sin against homosexuals no. by insisting that sexual temptation and attraction are predominantly chosen. We do not always or even generally choose our temptations. Nevertheless, we are absolutely responsible for what we do well, with opinion, sinful temptations
2: i He sucked into the studies and uh, scared to death, lest the studies might uh, somehow it. or other prove that what he thought the Bible said was not what the what was true after all. So we have to mm-hmm. somehow or other uh, square it with the Bible if these guys are right. You know that that's happens the, all the time. I'm tired it, of that.
5: That's. I think that's the biggest thing, uh, Doc. That that we're that sometimes we're afraid that there will be some. Uh, research that points to there is a genetic dispossession. The Bible's a, wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: if there could be research and everybody believed it for 16 years, probably in the 17th year... Something had,
3: new would come out. Another
2: pro- another way of dealing with it entirely. Yeah. We just go to the Scriptures and find out what ba- God says. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I really want to know if I'm dealing with a homosexual in, practicing, in, in counseling is uh, if he really believes that, that there can be a change. And if he wants change, and if so, then he, there can be a change, just as it says here in 1 Corinthians 6.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the question I think we, we, when you just mentioned, that we we need to confront every constantly and every issue, because I don't believe many of them believe the Bible. Uh, they exactly say that right. they believe, but they don't believe the Word.
2: Well, even when they don't, even when they try to, even when they believe it, when they say "I believe it," and they want to believe it, they don't know much of it.
3: I,
1: amen.
2: Uh, the teaching that goes on in churches today is pathetic.
1: Yeah, it sure right. is. My that's people right. perish for ignorance. That's right. Yeah. And Jay, you know, most pastors. Um,
2: but, but, but hold on just a minute on that, if I may, just yeah, add a footnote. Certainly. You know, it. One of the things in counseling that we must be very careful to do is to teach. Because people don't know or they believe something that's wrong. And teaching is an absolute essential in counseling. And if a person doesn't know his Bible himself, he better not go into counseling until he learns something about mm-hmm. the scriptures. Right. And uh, because he's, you know, it says in uh, James 3, 1, it says, Be not many of you teachers because there will be a stricter judgment. mm mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a fearful thing to, to uh, preach the Word of God or to teach it in, mm. in counseling, wherever it may be.
4: Mm. Uh,
2: it's a fearful thing because we're going to have to stand before God someday and say, this is what I taught, and he's going to say that was not the truth. Yeah. And Jay, why, didn't, why didn't you learn the truth from the Scriptures? Mm. Jay,
3: we, we know that you say, uh, you got a book by Competent to Counsel, that uh, all believers are. And now you're saying, and I, I believe that you, you shouldn't be counseling un, unless you're adept with the Word of God. The problem that I find from a practical aspe- aspect is there are not many people in the churches today who are who are uh, trained enough to be at that level where you just said they need to know the Bible to counsel because they no, need to teach. No, that's because
2: the church hasn't been doing the job. Now, um, uh, we have at our church, for example where I attend and I'm part of the program, we have a 200-plus-hour training program for all kinds of people, anybody, pastors, elders, laymen, key laymen, whoever. 200 hours over two years. People study one night a month. Uh, A week and uh, over two years. And uh, they learn everything. They learn theology. They learn all kinds of things Mm -hmm. and how to put these things into practice in terms of counseling.
1: Just curious. When
2: they go out of their counseling, they know something. They don't just just have a few little recipes that they're going to try to follow.
1: Just curious, do you uh, teach them something about hermeneutics?
2: Oh, yeah, we have a whole course, 10 hours on it.
5: Excellent. Yeah, is it is that a class prerequisite for your folks? Or oh, all it?
2: these are prerequisite. You do you you promise to stay the whole two years, or you don't get in. <laughs> I mean, we we uh, we uh, of course allow for people who get run over by a car or something, but uh, that's about <laughs> the only thing. And that's uh, we quite, might
1: quite kind then, of it. then we have it all on tape, <laughs> so we can get it
2: to them.
5: <laughs> and, and that's it's good. It's this if if the church isn't teaching and training you know again back to colossians chapter 1 uh, 28 which happens to be our church's theme verse christ we preach uh-huh. counseling every man and teaching every man sure. so sure. that we One may day. present every man perfect mature, you know, right? mature yeah yeah
2: people need to learn a lot of 316s like second peter 316 too which talks about those who are twist the scriptures because they're unlearned and unlearned and untaught mhm See, the church doesn't teach properly, and so they don't learn. They don't have it, so they twist the scriptures, and they go all haywire.
1: Jay, what would you say? A lot of
2: good three sixteens.
1: Yeah, there are. Well, how would you speak to a pastor who says, "Well, listen, uh, you know, I'm I'm just not a counselor. It's not my gift. I, I'm a preacher, uh, but I'm just not a counselor."
2: I'd say you've been mistaught, or you, or whatever. If that's what you believe, because it speaks about being a pastor, teacher in Ephesians. Uh, uh, four, mm-hmm. eleven, and twelve, and uh, uh, that's speaking about one man. There, there's two, to two, to two, to there. There, that's one of the categories. And it's an apostle, and the evangelist, and so on, and uh, prophet, and and the counselor, teacher, or pastor teacher. And pastoral work is very much a part of the pastor. And if a man has the ability to preach, he also has the ability to counsel. Mm-hmm. He may not have the knowledge. Mm-hmm but he has the ability, or he shouldn't be in the ministry at all.
3: He should at least have the heart to do it.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, it's a lot easier to preach, because <laughs> in preaching, <laughs> That's you, right. you know what you're going to talk about before you get up there, at least you ought to.
1: <laughs> and,
2: uh, but when you go to counseling and you, you sit down in the counseling room, you That's don't know right. what's going to come.
1: That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. The
2: person may, may uh, throw a curve, uh, and what happened last week may not be uh, the prelude to what is going to happen the next week. I mean, things keep changing. People's lives, and uh, you've got to know a broad. Uh, you have to have a broad understanding of a variety of issues scripturally if you're going to do faithful counseling. That doesn't say that you shouldn't counsel if you're a layman and you don't have all the knowledge. Now, if you have the desire, uh, there are places you can get the help. We That's we sure.
5: we were privileged to have Lance Quinn here about two weeks ago, yeah. um, here in in the radio studio studio with us, and. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were discussing was the fact that a lot of pastors today feel that um, this is all supposed to happen from the pulpit. Ha, ha, ha. Well,
2: then the Apostle Paul must not have been much of a preacher, because in Acts 20 he says that when he was at Ephesus... Night and day, day, over the whole three-year period he was there, he counseled people every day with tears.
1: Out of the scriptures. So he
2: didn't think he could do it all without uh, counseling people, mm-hmm. and uh, I suppose he wasn't a good enough preacher.
1: And I, I like the way Wayne Mack uh, said it in one of his early courses. He said, uh, based upon uh, Acts 20 also, that Paul ministered the whole counsel of God, and he did it both publicly and from house to house, and yep. uh, made the distinction that Counseling really is the ministry, the same ministry of the Word of God, only it's done in a private situation with yeah. more specific uh, goals. Uh, so if you're a minister of the Word of God, you, can, you will preach publicly and you'll counsel privately. You're using the same tool and the same exegesis. That's the only difference.
3: The, the pastor that does not feel inclined to counsel either uh, did not have a good understanding of what a pastor is— or I think,
2: I think he certainly doesn't if he doesn't, or he does, or he's rebellious if he does have the understanding. Or
3: he's never been called.
2: What? Or he's never been yeah, called. Yeah, uh, that's possible, too. But, uh, you know, everybody ought to counsel some, even, sure. even informally, even laymen. Mm. So, even uh, an
1: untrained pastor, <laughs> yeah. if he's a
5: Christian. Or or he's, let's be honest, or he's lazy.
2: Yeah, that's often the... It's, it's a lot easier not to have to sit down face-to-face with people. You can talk... The whole congregation and it's no it's, no, you know, it's not so personal boy mm. it's personal when you sit down and you talk to this person about his sin or her sin and you say this has got to change God says so here it is in his word blah 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 and you read the scriptures and, and this guy says no I don't want to do it and then you, you know you're into whatever it takes and it may even involve church discipline in the final analysis I had
3: a pastor tell me uh, not too long ago how can you sit in that counseling room hour after hour and deal with all the garbage. He says, boy, I'm glad you're doing it, and not me.
2: That's terrible. That's yep. yeah. terrible. Amen. You know, a- you know, it's not just a matter of dealing with the garbage. Um, every time I uh, uh, had to face a certain case of sort. I would come home and I'd say, boy, I'm glad I, I didn't marry somebody like that.
1: Well, you know, I've said that to my wife, Jay, and I've, I've also reminded her, in case she was upset with me, you don't have a clue. You know, <laughs> goes both ways. But Fringe benefits. Jay, do you think that uh, the whole uncomfortability of confronting difficult situations could be something behind why some pastors don't want to counsel? Because you do have to confront, and that's one of the things about New Thetic Counseling, uh, that we 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 do we're we're challenged,
2: yeah, but to, also in the seminaries we've had a phrase that's been bantied about that's been very dangerous, very harmful, and that is the primacy of preaching. Mm. You ever hear that phrase? Yes. yes, yes, well, it's not the primacy of preaching, it's the primacy of the ministry of the word which involves preaching and counseling, every kind of way in which the word might be ministered. And uh, that's what Acts 16 said. The apostles said the ministry is what they were going to, and uh, ministry of the word. And the word is is presented either publicly or privately, as, you, as Acts says. And uh, uh, the only difference between counseling and between preaching is, uh, basically, is that one's a little louder than the other.
1: Jay, uh, let's, let me ask you a question uh, related to doctrine. Tell, uh-huh. us, tell us what the... What is the importance of having sound doctrine to do with counseling?
2: Well, Bill Goode, who used to be the uh, who died a few years back, and who used to be the uh,
1: executive president, director,
2: president, uh, executive director of the National Association of Aesthetic Counselors, put it well when he said, "Every counseling problem is a doctrine, a theological problem." Mm-hmm. And I, I want to add to that mm. that every uh, counseling solution is a theological solution. Absolutely, mm. amen. I think he, he summed it up pretty
1: well. Yeah. I, I've Over the years, I've come to appreciate that so much more, uh, that some some facet of a person's theology is deficient, uh, and, and that's part of the renewing of the mind they need to do so that... Uh, well, in fact, we talked about worry earlier, and you mentioned Philippians 4, but you also know the key passage in Matthew 6, where Jesus spends time commanding the same thing not to worry, but his focus there is the underlying doctrinal position of the the fatherhood of God to provide for his people and that clearly if if you're worrying you're not trusting your father you're you're uh, diminishing who he says he is to you well, I think.
2: absolutely there are a lot of places you could go talk about worry in the scriptures I mean for example in right. Matthew 6 where he talks about the worry all through the whole cha- the bit of the chapter and he's talking there about uh, the fact that God provides for the birds of the air, and he provides for uh, uh, everything else that's necessary, and well, don't you think he's going to provide for you? And uh, He, what, the way he deals with that uh, at the beginning of it is to talk about two different philosophies. One philosophy is the world's philosophy, in which you have, you're concerned about what you're going to eat and drink.
4: Mm-hmm. The other
2: is uh, the Christian philosophy, where you... Uh, concerned about pleasing God and his kingdom. You want to be a part of his kingdom, and that's what's first in your thoughts, pleasing him, and all these things will be added to you. So he, he makes it very basic in terms of two philosophies of life.
1: Yeah, Jay, well, it's been great having you on the program. I'm going to ask you to hang on. We're going to chat with you for a few minutes as soon as the program shuts off, all right? Listeners, listeners, tune in next week where we'll be talking about the Bible and its sufficiency for counseling. We'll talk about your problems. If you call in, we'd be glad to hear from you. This is Joe Propri, and we're signing off, Transforming Lives. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.
0: You may also write to the Biblical Counseling Institute, 8146 High Street, Garrettsville, Ohio, 44231. Your prayers and financial gifts for this ministry would be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening. This program has been sponsored by the Biblical Counseling Institute of Garrettsville, Ohio.
4: Your love is like the dawn. Baby boomers, listen.